We're sitting here in a room with every other row taped off by green ribbons, sparsely populated, listening to brothers and sisters of Christ who we've never met, sing online and join us in worship each Sunday morning. And, and we've got others that will be in here at 10 and others that are joining us online and others that are... It's a weird season. It's uncomfortable. And we can't help but think over and over and over again, not just at church, but at Walmart and at school and at work and at home and in all these different moments when we read the news, I just can't wait until things get back to normal. I just can't wait till things get back to normal. And so this week when I was reading a, a book on the post-quarantine church, and it's talking to church leaders and, uh, and, and just Christians about how things are going to change after we come out of this season of difficulty and, and pandemic and financial and political turmoil and crisis. That on the other side of all that, things won't be the way that they were. Uh, and so if you keep saying to yourself, I just want things to get back to the way that they were, then you're forgetting that crises always change us. And then when we come after a time of great difficulty, we never come out and go back to the way we were prior to that. And so I started kind of thinking about what that means for Christians to be in a place where we need to resist that desire to say, I just want things to go back to normal. Because what was normal a couple of years ago is not as good as where God wants us to go. God has better things in store for us and has better challenges ahead for Christians in the church than getting back to the way they used to be. And so it, it, maybe it should surprise me or not, I, I was reading about uh, nostalgia and, and memory and thinking about what it means to, to want things to go back to the old way and how we really can't even hope for that. And I came across a passage in Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 10, and, and we'll get to it more in a minute, but I want to just read it so you can kind of see what got me going in this direction. Uh, the teacher of wisdom says in Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 10, Do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. Huh. Do not say, why were the old days better than these? Now, Ecclesiastes is one of the uh, Old Testament Hebrew books of wisdom. And when you're talking about wisdom, you're not talking about right or wrong. And that's very important. So when I tell you that the teacher, uh, of the writer of Ecclesiastes and the giving of wisdom that God has given to him and that he is now giving to his uh, disciples and followers, as he's telling them, hey, don't say and don't ask, why were the old days better than these days? It's unwise to do that. It doesn't mean that if you are nostalgic and longing for the good old days that you're sinning. Wisdom doesn't work that way. Uh, wisdom teachings uh, are things like the early bird gets the worm. It's good to orient your life around that. But if you believe that that is completely true and you sleep in on Saturday, you are not doing things wrong or immoral. You're just not being as wise as maybe you possibly could. Unless your kids have been driving you crazy all week and then sleeping in on Saturday is the wise thing to do. Yeah, Evan, I hear you. Um, so... Uh, wisdom functions in this different space, and it seeks to answer questions like, why does suffering happen? 
What do we think about how uh, good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people? How do we understand death and what that means for how we live? Uh, how do we think about the world that we live in and, and the people that share it with us? And how should we interact with them in ways that will be beneficial and healthy for me in ways that will be beneficial and healthy for them? It's not about sin, laws, rules, or morality. It's having these questions about what is the better way to live than the other way to live. And it invites us into the best ways of living. And so Ecclesiastes functions in this space. So if you violate the teachings of Ecclesiastes, you're not sinning, but you might not be as successful as if you did pay attention. And so that's the space that we're in today. And the passage that we read earlier in Ecclesiastes 1 uh, reminds us and introduces us to the real kind of worldview of the teacher of wisdom in Ecclesiastes. Church tradition says that this is Solomon, the son of David, although son of David could be a wide range of, of possible people. It's someone after David who is in the, the heritage of David. It could be Solomon, who is a teacher of wisdom. And since we know that Solomon had uh, God's great gift of wisdom, it would be the best author, in my mind, to be receiving this teaching from. And I always think of it as Solomon. Uh, but the text itself refers to it as the teacher of wisdom. And so when the teacher uh, comes to us and says, don't you know that all seasons change? And what's good today is going to be gone tomorrow. And what's terrible today is going to be great tomorrow. And, and while you're here in winter today, spring is coming. And if you're so sick and tired of the night, just give it a minute because the sun's about to rise. And, and if the heat of the sun is wearing you out, don't worry a cool breeze is always just around the corner eventually. And so when you get this idea and, and understanding of the wisdom of Ecclesiastes, what you understand is quit obsessing about every single moment of your life as if you're going to live in that moment forever. Because guess what? You're not. It's about to go away. So don't get too high with your highs and don't get too low with your lows, but enjoy this moment and enjoy it with God and be grateful when it's good and ask God for what's next when it's bad and be faithful in that moment and just live your life in a very, very full way, no matter your circumstances, because life just keeps marching on. In a moment like this, that's a great reminder. It helps us to, to get some perspective about what we're going through. Don't plan on staying where you are and how you are. Quit obsessing about what seems like the most important thing, but is temporary and is going to move in the next moment or the next week or the next month. It's going to pass and God has something else in store for you. But we, of course, want to go to the teacher of wisdom and say, yeah, but teacher, you weren't there in 2020. It was bad. And that was at like normal levels of bad. Like all the different flavors of bad came together and stacked themselves right on top of each other for about 12 months. We got all the different kinds of bad at one time and we just couldn't quit looking away from it. We couldn't get away and we were more isolated than ever. And it stunk. It was miserable. This is a kind of new thing. We got hit by a global pandemic, by a virus that the definition of the virus was no novel coronavirus. It means it's new. 
It's new. We're going through something the world has never seen. Now, the teacher of wisdom would say, really? Really? You're the first humans in the history of humanity to have a plague? Really? You're the first humans that have had sickness and, and disease sweep through your people? Really? You're the first people that have seen, uh, you know, really incredible financial hardship. Many, especially small businesses and mid-sized businesses and companies, uh, weren't able to survive last year. Unemployment was at record-breaking highs for this country. We didn't have a famine, but we had a pretty serious toilet paper shortage. And to be fair, it might actually be the first toilet paper shortage in the history of planet Earth. But um, it's not necessarily the most suffering the world's ever known. We had political turmoil. We had people that, that were crying out against racial injustice and desiring for things to be better while other people didn't like what they were saying. We had anxiety and tension and conflict throughout. And it felt like every day you would open the news and it was just taking turns telling you one bad story after another bad story after another bad story. And on top of it, we even had natural disasters, wildfires like we had not seen in recent years, hurricanes, one of the most historically active hurricane seasons uh, of our lifetimes. And all of that in one year. And the teacher says, none of that's new. None of that's new. God's seen all of that before. And in fact, most of us in our lifetime have seen different variations of the challenges of the last year and seen our country, our families, our neighbors, the world, people survive it. And yet, here we are obsessing about this one moment. And one of the things uh, you can do if, if, you, if you're bored, you can go online and just type in worst year ever. And you know what year comes up? 2020, 2019, 2018, 2017. You can go find a TED talk called, is 2017 the worst year in human history? And it turns out that we are pretty convinced as humans that this year is the worst year that the world has ever lived through until you know what? Next year. And the next year is going to be the worst year we've ever lived through because we lack the perspective of the teacher and the wisdom of the teacher who says nothing under the sun is new and you've been through this before and you're going to get through it again. If you're having a great year, it's not going to last forever. If you're having a terrible year, the worst year of your life, good news, it's not going to last forever. It's going to pass. And so it shouldn't surprise us that in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 10, uh, that what the teacher says is it is not wise to always be saying, why are the old days so much better than these days? It's not wise. And yet we want to do it over and over again. One of my favorite songs of the last couple of years is a song uh, by a guy named Macklemore. And, and the lyrics are something like this. I wish somebody would have told me that someday these would be the good old days. All the love you won't forget, all these reckless nights you won't regret, because someday soon your whole life's going to change. You'll miss the magic of the good old days. I never thought we'd get old. Maybe we're still young. Maybe we always look back and think it was better than it was. Maybe these are the moments. Maybe I've been missing what it's about. 
I've been scared of the future and thinking about the past while missing out on now. We've come so far, and I guess I'm proud, and I'm not worried about the wrinkles around my smile. And I've got some scars, and I've been around, and I felt some pain and, and seen some things. But I'm here now, those good old days. You don't know what you've got till it goes till it's gone. You don't know what you've got till it goes until it's, till it's gone. And I love that song because it's constantly reminding me that maybe these are the good old days. And with elementary school kids at my house, maybe these are the good old days. And, and there's always this desire in us as humans to get this nostalgia about the past. Oh, it used to be so good. But man, things are really tough right now. And don't you miss the days when it was all just so easy and there weren't the challenges of this moment and this season and we could just really cherish everything. And so we all have that longing in our heart for the better days of the past. And yet the teacher of wisdom says, don't do that. Stop asking why the old days are better than the new days. And so I want to really kind of explore today, and we're going to keep doing it tomorrow, why is nostalgia unwise according to the Bible? How does nostalgia get us into trouble? And I think we need to begin by being aware that nostalgia is often a rose-tinted worship of the past that prevents us from moving through the present with hope for the future. Nostalgia is often a rose-tinted Worship of the past that prevents us from moving through the present with hope for the future. What does that mean for us spiritually? What does that mean if we spiritually engage in the practice of nostalgia? It means that nostalgia can become idolatry. Where we are worshiping uh, the past and our rose-tinted vision of it, it fails to trust God in the present moment, and it lets go of and ignores the Christian hope for the future. So when that happens, nostalgia can have a spiritually crippling effect on our hearts and on our lives. It robs us of faith in the present and hope in the future, and we worship some vision of where we used to be before God brought us to here, which is questioning Him and can get us into all kinds of trouble. And so the teacher says, don't do that. And we need to understand why it is that this is so significant. Um, but you think about just parents and family and, and intergenerational. I love being at a church as people of all ages. Um, but one of the funny things that you get to watch happen from time to time is you'll see new parents, parents with young kids and toddlers, uh, and you know who they are because they've got sleepy rings under their eyes and they're just constantly stressed and they're frazzled. And, and, and you kind of go give them a hug and they, they have this feeling of like, don't touch me, I've been people too much, little humans, all weak space, I need it. Um, they need social distancing more than the rest of us. Uh, but those are newly new parents. And they go up to the newlyweds who don't have kids yet. And what do they always say? Go on adventures. Have fun. Travel. It's so good to be the, the freedom of being newlyweds and to be young adults. Embrace every moment of that. Go on great dates and have great adventures. And you know what the newlyweds want to say back to the new parents? We don't have any money to do that. 
We're trying to get through school and, and get our, our career started and figure out what job that we want. We don't have time for that. We're working two or three jobs to make ends meet. The only house we can afford has got so many problems. We're working on it every weekend. This is tough right now. You want me to go on vacation? I mean, if you want to sponsor me on a trip, I'd be happy to go. But this is a very difficult season of life that I'm in. How do you think that all I have to do is, is travel and go on dates and, and have adventures right now? Oh, yeah, I forgot about the difficulty of the past. I just remembered the opportunity and the fun. Those parents of toddlers go hang out with the parents of teens. And you know what the parents of teens and the empty nesters say to the parents of toddlers? You got some kid crying on the floor, throwing, pounding, the, beating the chairs, and just screaming their heads off. And those empty nesters walk right up and go, treasure these moments. you got to be crazy. James, you got a kid, you know. This is tough when you got little kids. And, and they come out and they're just driving you crazy and you haven't slept in days and they eat all the time, but half the food doesn't even stay in their mouths and it's all over the table and you can't get your house clean. You get diapers up to your elbows. And, and, and these parents, these older parents and these empty nesters go, treasure every single moment. You're like, I got at least two hours of my day that I have no business in treasuring. I don't know what you're talking about. I haven't slept in four years. Treasure these moments. That's nostalgia. It's nostalgia in action. The empty nesters go up to the parents of the teens and they tell the parents of the teens, you know, they're going to be gone so soon. Enjoy every moment that you have them in your house. And the parents of teens are thinking, I know when they're gone, who will I find to argue with about school and work and money and dating, what they can watch and can't watch and technology and phones and screens. I'll just have to get into like some kind of a mixed martial arts class just to have someone to fight with. Because we forget the difficulties of the past and we glamorize what we used to be doing and we worship the past and we're always asking, why were the old days so much better than these days? And when we see how that works in families, what we really see, and it's very clear when we think about the lifespan of nostalgia and advice, is we see the conversational nonsense of nostalgia in intergenerational conversations. But you immediately know it to be true when you think about the moment you thought, I remember someone telling me that and I almost lost my mind. It's not all bad. There's something really beautiful about it. Um, it, it is a gift in its own way that we can view the past through a little bit of those rose-tinted glasses, and sometimes we need that. The reality is that, that if women only uh, remembered childbirth without nostalgia, there would only be single-child families. You know what? We need some ability to forget the suffering that we experienced in the past and to remember with fondness the seasons of difficulty that got us into a new and better season to be willing to go through again some of the difficult things of the past. Um, I've heard Leah tell uh, other women the stories about how our children were born and they are beautiful stories and they are completely true, but they are incomplete because she tells those stories with a smile on her face that was not there that day. It wasn't there that day, but it's there today when she remembers it. And that is a beautiful thing and a beautiful gift that God has given her to remember a day of incredible difficulty and suffering with beauty and love. And so nostalgia is in many ways a gift that gets us through some of the difficult things in life. But when we get where we're rooted in it and we're stuck in it and we're all the time asking the question, why are the bad, the old days, why are the old days so much better than the new days?
When we get too hung up on the good of the past and forget the bad of the past, we can get in spiritual trouble. And there's three ways that we can do that that I want to talk about today. Three ways. The first one is this, is when we get caught up in the nostalgia of the past and where we used to be and not where God is taking us, if God wants to take us from where we were when he found us to where he wants us to be in the future, nostalgia can so deeply anchor us in our fond memory of the past that we are unwilling to go on the journey God wants us to go on. When God says, I want you to go from where you are to where I need you to be, and we look at the journey and we go, God, that journey looks hard. That journey looks difficult. It looks long. It looks like it's going to take endurance. I'm not interested in going on that journey when things are so good over here. I'm staying in the good old days. And even if God manages to pull us off of that spot, if the whole time we're walking, the pull of the good old days is on us because we're thinking all the time about the good old days, we're not going to have the ability to endure the journey to get where God needs us to go. Right now in our world, we are collectively in one of those moments where God's taking us from where we used to be to where we're going. And the thing that we all say all the time is, I wish things could get back to normal. That's the voice of Israel on the banks of Jordan. Israel has been brought out of slavery under Pharaoh and they've traveled the wilderness and God has fed them along the way and he's provided them and given them military victories. They're on the Jordan River looking into the promised land. All they have to do is walk over there and take it because God's going to give it to them. And here's what they say. They say... That night, this is Numbers 14, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole assembly said to them, Oh, if only we had died in Egypt. Oh, back in those good old days under Pharaoh and slavery. Or in the wilderness, in those good old days of wandering the wilderness. Why did the Lord bring us to this land only for us to fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. This is hard, God. We, you should have just left us back in slavery where things were good and easy and fun. Don't you remember how fun Pharaoh was? Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? They've, they're on the banks of the promised land, and here's the plan of Israel. We need a new leader, someone that will take us back to Pharaoh. Can you imagine what that would be like? To just take a leader of Israel and to march back and to go knock on Pharaoh's door? Uh, yes, Pharaoh, sir, uh, we're back to enlist ourselves as slaves. We've been thinking about how good we had it under you, and here we are. That's the nonsense of nostalgia. And yet here Israel is, and here we find ourselves doing the unwise thing of over and over again saying, let's just go back to the good old days. And if we do that, and God wants to take us from where he found us to where he wants us to be, we're never going to leave the spot where we started. And the second spiritual danger that nostalgia puts in our lives is we can get in trouble when God wants us to take a time of suffering and trials and turn it into a season of growth that moves us toward maturity. James chapter 1, and this is James, the brother of Jesus. James, the brother of Jesus, who watched all that his brother went through writes this at the beginning of his letter. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, 
Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. What James is telling us is that God wants to use suffering and trials. It doesn't necessarily mean that God gives us suffering and trials, but it means that when suffering and trials come, what God does is he says, I can redeem even what you're going through right now for your good benefit. I can grow you up into maturity so that you can be, be fully mature. But you got to stick with me here. If this gets hard, and it's going to get hard sometimes, if you just bail out every time it gets difficult, I can't grow you up into fullness. I can't make you into the best version of you for the sake of my kingdom and my image if every time I start doing something in you, you go, this is really hard. Can I just go back to when it was comfortable? The good old days were so much easier. God says, yeah, you can go back, but I can't grow you up to full maturity and perseverance if you keep quitting every time it gets hard. But it sure was easier. But God's got something better if you're willing to keep going with him where he needs you to be, growing into he wants you to become. Finally, Nostalgia gets us in spiritual trouble when it fills us with worry, anxiety, and fear because the reality is that the old way in our minds is so much better than the current way. No matter what God knows, we know that was so much easier and it was better and it was good and this is bad and it makes me anxious and I'm worried all the time and I'm afraid for my future. And Jesus speaks to those who are following him in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount and he tells them, don't worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, and what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus says, listen, if you want to be one of my people, you can't just keep worrying all the time about the future because God's going to take care of you. And when we say, no, I think I'm going to hold on to my worry. I think I'm going to hold on to my anxiety. I'm pretty afraid about the future of, of my life, my family, my state, my country, my church. I'm worried about it all the time. And God says, why are you worried? Do you think you're in charge? And worry says, yep. I absolutely think I'm in charge. And I'm going to keep worrying about this until I fix it. God says, no, not my people. My people don't let the nostalgia, which causes anxiety and worry and fear in our lives, be what drives us. What God does is he says, I want you to let go of all that. Give me control. And what you're going to have instead is peace and faith and hope. Peace for what you've been through and what you're going through. Faith that God's going to take care of it so I don't have to worry about how I'm going to solve all my own problems. And hope because Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave. So what do I have to be afraid of if I'm part of a kingdom that even death can't conquer? That's hope. So I don't have to worry about the present and the future because God's in control and the kingdom has already become eternal and wins and that's where I'm headed. So what do I worry about in the meantime? Because there may be some tough days, but those will pass. Boy, there's going to be some good days. Those will pass too. The wisdom of the teacher 
reminds us to not ever become so obsessed about this little moment and obsessed about our rose-tinted memories of the good old days that we forget to have confidence in this day and hope for those days to come. And nostalgia gets in the way. When we understand this, what we begin to understand is that if we allow nostalgia to take root in our soul, it anchors us to the past with only fond memories, and we forget the difficulties of this moment. And when we do that, we prevent God from taking us where he finds us to where he wants us to go. We prevent God from growing us up into fullness and maturity through suffering and trials. We prevent God from replacing our worry and fear with faith and hope. But when we allow God to do all of these things and we check our nostalgia with confidence in God that he's got better days ahead for us, we can start to be the people who aren't always saying, I just can't wait for things to get back to normal. But I can't wait to see what God's going to do when he gets us to what's next. I can't wait to see where God is taking us. I can't wait to see how God is growing me. I can't wait to see what it's going to be like in the future because I've got a hope for that, not a dread for that. And it's when we check our nostalgia and we instead have the wisdom of peace, confidence, and hope and trust in God that we begin to be less worried about how things used to be and more excited about how they're going to be when God gets us where he's taken us. That is what we're looking forward to. So, the next couple weeks and months, you're going to have lots of opportunities to say, I just can't wait till things get back to normal. What I would challenge you to do is to begin reminding yourself to say, I can't wait until we get to what God's got in store for me next. And you don't have to tell everyone you come in contact with who says, I can't wait to be, for things to be back to normal. You don't have to go, oh, fool. But you can tell them. You know, I think about that too. And I think about how I'm excited to see about what God's got in store for me next. And it might help them feel a little bit more hopeful and a little bit better too. If you need to respond to the gospel that God is in charge and he invites you to be his people saved from all your past so that you can live into his eternal future, uh, come forward and do so this morning as we stand and sing. My only hope is you, my only hope Jesus is you.